today we are in a series entitled Tighten the Knot. This is week number four. And our big idea is that anyone can tie the knot. And culturally, that's what we are talking about when we say tying the knot, to get married. And we said that when it comes to tying the knot, that that's what happens on the wedding day. But we tighten the knot in marriage. We tie the knot at a wedding, but we tighten the knot in marriage. And it seems more and more that people today are untying the knot. So in week number one, we talked about how the honeymoon is over. And we talked about how, first of all, we fall in love. And then after we fall in love, we forget how to love. And then we stop fighting for love. And so that was week number one. The honeymoon is over. Week number two, we talked about ribs and relationships. We talked about how the fact that some of us, we say we're not getting what we want in the relationship. And we said, if you want to get something different, you need to take a look at what you're giving. And some of us, we don't like what we're getting because we're not giving something. And so we took a step back and we said, hey, let's look at that. And then last week, uh, my friend Philip Pattinson, he came and he spoke on the power of forgiveness. And he took, a, took us to the book of Hosea and looked at that powerful relationship and looked how forgiveness restored it and brought it together. And next week, we're going to talk about the language of love. But for today, I want to talk to all my single friends in the house. I want to talk to all those that you are looking for somebody or you haven't quite tied the knot and uh, you're not sure what the next step is. And so that's this message is for you. So if you're a parent here, you want to elbow your kids and say, listen, take notes, or you're grounded. I mean, that's what you want to do today, or you want to take notes for your kids, email them, text them to them, because today's message is to help them, because too often we're making decisions, and some of the decisions we're making will lead us to a great deal of pain. So we want to help you to avoid pain that you will feel later by making the right decisions now. So today is all about working through who is the right one or finding the right one. And so many of us, we watch on movies or you read books or you see in magazines that it's all about finding the one. And that's what culture is obsessed with, isn't it? It's like, hey, your relationship's gonna work out because you found the one or you're with the one or you just need to find the right one or it didn't work because that really wasn't the right one. But here's what's so amazing. If you're in this room and you've been married or you are married, when you stood on that wedding day, whether it was at a church, whether it was at a temple, whether it was at the courthouse, when you said, I do, you were not thinking about that person being the wrong one. As a matter of fact, you were thinking, I'm saying I do to the right one. So what happened? So what happens? Why is it 50-50 with relationships and marriages nowadays? So we want to look at what does the scripture have to say about our relationships? And for some of us, we started out with this dream of marriage, but the dream has turned into a mirage. We're like, wait a minute, I can see in the distance, as soon as I get there, it evaporates, it's gone. Or some of us, we envision something in marriage, and that's not what we're experiencing. And we're like, I had this great vision of what would be, but that's not what I'm experiencing right now. So what's going wrong? And culture talks about the fact that if you just find the one, it'll be okay. And culture said, just find the one and then try it before you buy it. But here's the problem. People are not consumer products. You can't just buy it, not like it and return it. Because people have value. They have purpose. You can't just throw them away. But yet we have a culture that just kind of says, nah, try it. And if you like it, you can buy it. 
sample a little bit. And our culture has kind of done this. There's 1,400 uh, sites out there where you can look for Mr. Right or Miss Right. And while some of us, we're looking to online dating and we're looking to eHarmony, some of you are like, man, I'm not looking for a spouse on eHarmony. I want to put my spouse on eBay and uh, just post them there. Just, just sell them, just done with them, you know? And uh, so before you get to that point, we want to we wanna cut things off at the past, so to speak. And I want to talk to the, the single ones in the house. Just because you're single does not mean you are less of a person. And I know sometimes when we, when, when, when we go through those stages, it's kind of awkward. You just see everybody else. And around Valentine's Day, around the holidays, there's mistletoe. And you're like, man, where's my special somebody, you know? These long, cold winter nights, you know? And uh, you're just looking for somebody. And I remember when Jane and I, we went through that period too because we saw our friends getting married right out of college. And uh, it took us a few years and we weren't getting married right away. And so people would tell us all the time, hey, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Anybody ever heard that? You ever heard that? Yeah, there's plenty of fish in the sea. The problem is, have you been looking at the fish in the sea? take a look at some of the fish in the sea. I don't know about you, but some of these don't look all that great. All right. So the next time somebody says plenty of fish in the sea, say, Hey, have you been looking at an aquarium recently? There's some freaky fish out there. Okay. Some freaky fish. I don't know if I want to date that one. Some of you are like, I think I did date somebody. I remember that schnoz. Yeah. I dated that person, you know, and the person without the, the teeth there, you know, yeah, I remember that person. And so it's difficult, isn't it? It's not easy when you're out there and you're trying to find that one or find a good one. Some of you are just like, I'll just take anyone. I'm just, I'm just anyone. You know, you got a pulse. Good. Let's go courthouse this way, you know? And uh, so we're looking at what do we do? How do we, how do we get beyond? Because it seems that our culture has fallen for that trap that we got to find the right one and we obsess over it. So I want to look at a passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 29. And I want to just study this character by the name of Jacob. Because you're going to find that Jacob's going to obsess over the one. He's going to obsess and it's going to cost him 14 years of his life as he obsesses over the one. And you thought you had a crush that was bad. So we're going to dive into the story. But before we do, just a little background on who is Jacob. The father of the, the patriarch, so to speak, the nation of Israel was Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac and Isaac had two twin boys. The oldest was Esau. The youngest was Jacob. The Bible says that Esau was born first and that Jacob was on his heels, literally grabbing his heels as he came out. They named him Esau because he was hairy like a woolen blanket. All right. Now, when they said he was hairy like a woolen blanket, that's when he came out. Could you imagine you just gave birth and what you gave birth to was not a baby. It was a Wookiee. You're like, you know, and you're just like, what is that? You know, this is so much hair. I didn't expect this, you know. And uh, the Bible goes into great detail that Jacob wanted to take the birthright of Esau. And so to do that, he pretended to be Esau. You say, how did he do that? They take the wool from a goat and he put it on his arms. Any of you gone to the petting zoo? You ever pet a goat? All right. That's like way too much hair. Some of you ladies are into that. I'm God bless you. And, uh, you know, uh, shave that, you know, and, uh, that's a lot of hair. And so Jacob pretended to be that. Now here's the difference between Esau and Jacob. Esau was an outdoorsy kind of guy. He liked nature. He liked to hunt. He liked to eat things that had to be dried like jerky, every kind of jerky. That's where he was. His favorite store was Bass Pro Shop. Now contrast Jacob on the other hand. Jacob, the Bible says, had smooth hands, okay? That means they were delicate, you know, kind of like a piano player's, you know, just, just soft hands, you know? And his favorite store was Bed Bath & Beyond, 
all right? So you got Bass Pro Shop Boy and you got Bed Bath & Beyond Boy. And they're very different, very different. One would, couldn't wait to tell you about how he just got a 10-point buck and the other one was to tell you how he just saved 10 bucks at Bed Bath & Beyond. And he just got a good deal, new recipe. That's the difference between the two. But Jacob stole Esau's birthright. And Esau's a hunter. He's a cunning man. So Esau is going to hunt down and kill his brother Jacob. And so Jacob runs. And Jacob's father, Isaac, says, Jacob, you need to run to uh, Laban. You need to go there, and you need to be in that country where where it's safe. So this is where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter number 29. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 29. If not, it'll be up on the screen, or there's a Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible's our gift to you. Please take that, and that is for you, because we want our church to be a church of the Word. So we want you to have a copy of God's Word. Take that as our gift to you. But let's look at verse number 14. And we're talking about looking for the one. And let's see if you can see the obsession here with Jacob finding the one. Verse number 14. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Scripture just gets real, doesn't it? It's just like, you know, hey, there's one sister and she's curvy. And the other one, well, she has a nice personality. I mean, it's just like, like, wow, you know, aren't you glad Scripture doesn't write about you and I, you know? And it's just like, so, so it's no surprise which one Jacob's going to go after because Jacob is very much like our culture. Our culture is so fixated on attraction, Okay fixated on attraction notice verse number eight nineteen. the bible says agreed laban replied i'd rather give her to you than anyone else stay and work with me so jacob worked seven years to pay for rachel some of you are like oh that's so sweet look at jacob bed bath and beyond boy got a job for seven years and he's gonna work for rachel and so we see that he works but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night it was dark. Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. It wasn't Rachel. And uh, all of a sudden, some of you feel like, wait a minute. I feel like that happened to me. I went to bed with somebody and then I woke up the next day and it was a different person. I don't know what happened, but they're just different. Or maybe it took 10 years and you're like, this is not the same person I married. And so Jacob is obsessed with the one. Which one was? It was Rachel. He's obsessed with her and he wants to be with her. And anything he has to do to be with her, he will be with her. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says that he's going to work an extra seven years to be with Rachel. So he's going to spend 14 years of his life trying to be with the who he sees as the one. And some of us were obsessed with finding the one. And it's all about being with the one. And what happens is, the fact is, we, we have these marriage or relationship problems because we're on this search for the one. And then we get married and we find out the person we married was not the one. And so we're like, do I look for another one? God, is this the wrong one? And we're confused. And so too often, we get into relationships and we're wondering, why is this so hard? Why is the dream now a mirage? Why is what I envision not what I am experiencing? And the answer is simply this, brokenness is the cause. 
And you might want to write that down. We said uh, note takers are history makers. Brokenness is the cause. You see, when you got married, you said I do. And he said I do. She said I do. But here's what happens. The eyes collide. You see what I mean? The eyes collide. Yes, your eye and her eye or her eye and his eye, they collide. They're different because the only thing that changes at a wedding is the last name. It's the only thing that changes. His character did not change. If he didn't have a job and didn't want to work a job before you got married, guess what? He, nothing changed. Nothing changed because he cut some cake, blew out some candles and, and, and had a couple toasts. No, that's not, that's not what happened. No, no, no. You see, the moment you said I do, you thought, oh man, they changed magically. Poof, change. No. Oh, magically she just changed. No, that's not it. You see, here's the thing. Most of you feel like I'm in a marriage and we have marriage problems. Write this down. Your marriage does not have problems. And some of you are like, what? No, it does. No, it doesn't. You and I are broken people. And we got in a relationship with another broken person. And it's not the marriage that had a problem. It's that long before we had a problem that we never dealt with. And so brokenness is the cause of the relational rift. You see, too often we get into a marriage and we just think all of our problems magically are gone. I had some deep issues in my my marriage that started way before I got married. Things that I wasn't honest with Jane. Because here's the thing. I didn't get into a marriage relationship and was totally honest at those wedding vows. I didn't say, guess what? I'm actually a very selfish person. So when you're doing all the housework, I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to keep watching Sports Center and I'm going to look over at you and you're going to ask me to help and I'm going to look at you and I'm going to grunt and I'm going to go back to what I'm doing. I didn't tell her that at the wedding day. Well, it would have scared her. I didn't say, hey, guess what? I'm a very selfish, prideful person, so everything's going to be about me. So when we get into an argument, I'm just going to make it about me, okay? It's about my feelings and what I want to do and where I want to go and where I want to eat. I didn't say that at the vows, but it seems like we should have gotten a little bit more honest. You know, she didn't say, hey, guess what? I do for better and for worse. I'm very manipulative and very controlling. I'm very insecure, so you better not talk to anybody of the female gender. Otherwise, I will gouge your eyes out with a number two pencil. She didn't say that, but guess what? But we act that way because we're not honest at our vows. We're not honest at how broken and messed up and dysfunctional we are. There'd be a whole lot less weddings if we were. Imagine somebody saying, hey, I will be faithful and I'll serve you and I'll be there for you as long as, guess what? You meet all my needs. You're there for me anytime I want. You're there for intimacy. You're there for, uh, if I need a foot massage, back massage, you're there in case I don't even want to work a job anymore. You're just going to, you should do it all. And as long as you keep up your end of the bargain, this is going to be great. And that's kind of how we got into a relationship. But the problem is, that's a lot of brokenness that is in the marriage. But here's what happens. When the eyes collide, first of all, we try to conquer them. You say, what do you mean? We try to get him or her to be I. And we said that last week, right? We said, hey, when, when you blew out those candles and you, you said, hey, we're unified. We said, what's the entity, enemy of unity? It's individuality. And you knew, hey, it's, we're now a new one, but we were fighting which one? And so that's what we try to do. We try to conquer them. But if we can't conquer them, we try to conform. And when we conform, we become somebody we're not. And I won't be I, I'll be him or I'll be her. And some of us don't like that. We don't like that. We have to change everything. So we don't like conforming. Or there's the other one, Compromise. But compromise only lasts so long because compromise is this. Compromise says, I will as long as you will. As long as you hold your end of the bargain, I'll hold my end of the bargain. But can I tell you that's not really based on love? That's more of like, hey, as long as you meet my standard. And haven't you noticed that too often in a relationship or in a marriage, we get upset, we get angry, not because they've necessarily broke God's laws, but because they broke our laws. 
I talk about this. You may want to write it down is that there are unwritten rules in a relationship. You see what do you mean? Unwritten rules in a relationship are like this. I got married to Jane and I didn't know it was an unwritten rule. You don't wear shoes in the house. Any of you have that rule? You have a sign. Some of you even had a sign posted. We didn't get the sign till way later. And she was just upset with me. Cold treatment. Wouldn't talk to me. Why? And I didn't know it was an unwritten rule. It was also an unwritten rule that guess what? When I get home from work and uh, that I just kind of get to do my own thing because in the house I grew up in, guess what? When daddy got home, he didn't have to talk to anybody. He didn't have to have dinner with the family. He didn't have to do dishes. He didn't have to help with homework. He just got to do whatever he wanted to do. And some of you grew up in that family where dad, you didn't bother dad when he got home from work. Dad just went into his man cave, just did whatever dad wanted to do. And you didn't see him. You saw him come in. That was it. So guess what I did when we first got married? I came home, found a good spot on the couch, found a good channel on TV. And I thought I would just tune her out. You know what that did? No, 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 no. That broke an unwritten rule. That she, no, no, no. That's unwritten rule. You don't do that. And a lot of us, we have all these problems because we have these unwritten rules. In the first couple of years, you're working through these unwritten rules that are in the relationship. And then after a couple of years, you're tired of fighting and arguing, so you start talking about it. And that's good. Talk about the unwritten rules. What are they? Some of you, you grew up in a household where she does, your, your mom or, or, or the, the woman in your house, she didn't know how much she could spend. And, and the, whoever charged the, uh, the finances would never let the person know how much they could spend. So whenever they spent money, it was always too much. Didn't matter. It was always too much. Well, how much can I spend? I don't know. Just don't spend that much. And uh, you're always spending too much. And so it's an unwritten rule that you don't spend a lot of money. But then you live in this fear of, I don't know how much money I can spend. It's an unwritten rule. And so what happens is we don't express them. And so now there's all this frustration in the relationship. But then you finally talk about it and you come up with your new rules. And guess what your kids grow up with? They grow up with your new set of unwritten rules. And then your kids get married to somebody else and the vicious cycle starts all over. Isn't it great how human society is? It just kind of starts all over. Because why? It's not that marriage has a problem. It's that we are people and brokenness is the cause. Brokenness. So deal with that. Say, hey, where am I dysfunctional? Where am I broken? Jacob had some deep brokenness. Why is he trying to cheat to steal the birthright? There's a lot of brokenness there. He's running for his life. Instead of dealing with the problem, he's running from his brother. Instead of owning up and said, hey, brother, I'm sorry. I've sinned. I've done wrong. No, he runs. And so we see brokenness as the cover. But then I want you to see number two, bitterness is, uh, brokenness is the cause, but bitterness is the cover. Many of us use bitterness, and it's just a cover. We're so angry. We're so upset. And so we use bitterness as a cover. Notice, if you would, verse 26 to 30. You see, Leah is now tricked into this relationship. Leah is used as a bartering system. Leah didn't decide, yes, I want to be with Jacob. She didn't say no, but it wasn't her decision. So she gets into this relationship. And all of a sudden, Jacob, who thought, if I just get with the right one, then my relationship's going to be set. Because there's this myth of the right one, but then he ends up getting tricked. And now he's with Leah, and he's not with Rachel. And so there's this problem. And many of us kind of feel like Jacob, like if we could just get with Rachel, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. But I don't know if you are a fan of The Bachelor or Bachelorette. Any fans of The Bachelor or Bachelorette? A couple honest people. Some of the guys are not wanting to, but a shoulder go like this. So we'll just take it that you do, all right? Or at least you casually glance at it. But uh, when it comes to The Bachelor, there's been 21 seasons of it. It started in March 2002. 21 seasons. Do you know how many of those perfect couples are still together from The Bachelor? How many are still happily married to this day? One. Out of 21, it's perfect environment, perfect everything. It's paradise. Some of the most beautiful people 
that they can get with all the airbrushing, all the makeup and everything, and they, they were put together, and yet the relationship didn't last. Now, there is one more couple out of those 21 seasons that they're still engaged, but none of the other couples are still together. None. Now, uh, the bachelorette fares a little bit better. There are six couples on the bachelorette that are still together. So I guess, ladies, you are still better at picking men than men are at picking ladies, if that says anything, okay? So, uh, good job, ladies, all right? So, but it seems that we have all this effort put on finding the one, but then we're sorely disappointed that, wait a minute, this isn't working out because looking for the right one is essential, but it's not enough. You see, Jacob thought, once I'm with Rachel, it'll be all right. You see, we, we just think that, man, if I'm just with the one and that one treats me how I want, then everything's going to work out, but it doesn't. Because what happens is we feel, it, we go by what feels right. And when we say, and we think it feels right, we just assume it is right. Because culture bases our list off of two things. As long as we have some chemistry and some attraction, we're good and we go for the relationship. If there is some chemistry and there's some attraction, we're going to go for it. And that's what we base our relationship off of. Chemistry and attraction. And as long as we have those two, we go forward. And once we have those two, what happens is we think the relationship is right. And the righter the relationship feels, the quicker we move in the relationship. And now I'm going to kind of get a little bit uncomfortable just for a little bit. And so this is, this is a point where, hey, I know you came to church, but I, I, I really want to convey this because our culture is buying into this lie. It's sinking into this thing that, man, we just got to find the one. And then as soon as we get a little attraction or chemistry, we just got to keep moving. And what happens is we think there's this chemistry and attraction. So we move faster in the relationship than we should. We give parts of ourselves away faster than we possibly should. And then we do things that we would later on regret because many of us, we think that, man, I, I, our compatibility and we, we rush things. And here's what happens. It's, it's, and I'm going to illustrate it with these uh, little post-it notes. Anybody, you're a fan of the post-it notes? Any post-it notes fans? Aren't these things great? I mean, you can put these things everywhere, write little notes on them, and you just stick them on anything you want. Anything you want. You just write your notes, and you just stick them somewhere. And uh, the note just kind of stays there. And you write little notes, and I don't know about you, but sometimes they stick there. Not always. But you just, you could just put these post-it notes, and you could just write little things. And maybe, maybe you flirt with them. Maybe this is how your way, you write little notes to your spouse and everything, and you put those everywhere, and it's cute, and you make us sick, and we want to throw up when we hear about that, okay? But, uh, uh, you use these post-it notes, or you have them all over your computer monitor. How many of you just have a bunch on your computer monitor? Some of you won't admit it, but what about your laptop? You open up your laptop, and it's like, boom, post-it notes everywhere. Or your refrigerator. Post-it notes everywhere. Just post-it notes. Uh, some of you, I want to put up your Bibles. There's just post-it notes everywhere. You love these things. These things are great, aren't they? These post-it notes. These are awesome. Here's the thing. Many times I can illustrate your relationship when you hop from person to person by using a post-it note. You say, why? Because that first time, man, ooh, that first time you're intimate. You just kind of stick. And here's the thing that culture doesn't talk about. The first time is pretty great. It is pretty special. It's the first time. You're not very good at it because it's your first time, but hey, guess what? It's the first time, so there's something special about it. And that first time, man, it was great. And if right now, this post-it note is stuck there pretty good. But then the relationship doesn't last because our culture is a hookup culture. So it doesn't last. And then, I'm not against anybody. I'm just, I'm, I'm not. I'm just telling you. Because science is now catching up to what the scripture has been preaching. Science is just now catching up. So what happens is then you take your post-it note and you go to somebody else and then you stick it somewhere else. And here's the thing. That person has the same idea. It's a hookup culture. Come on, we just get around. It's not a big deal. 
This is just skin on skin. We're just getting around. We're just kind of just hanging out. There's no serious commitment here. Just because we slept together is not a big deal. And if you're in high school, you're getting bombarded by this stuff. If you're in college, you're bombarded by this. If you're a single person in the workforce, oh man, that's the conversation. That's just everybody. Hey, are you playing the field? Are you getting hooked up? Are you having a good time? What happens is we keep hopping from relationship to relationship. But here's the thing that's been happening with my little post-it note. It's actually not sticking as well. Because as I continue to hop from surface to surface to surface to surface to surface, all of a sudden I'm trying to now stick it to something and it doesn't quite work as well. It's because why? There's some part of you and part of them that starts to rub off and all of a sudden you're not as strong as you once were. Then you try to get into a committed, loving relationship and you're doing everything you can to keep it together. But that loving, committed relationship, it's not sticking like you wanted to. There's not the glue, because here's the thing. Intimacy glues you to that person. And intimacy does not come without incident. And culture will tell you, you could just play the field, and you're going to walk away scar-free. And we don't. And we wonder why that all of a sudden we see divorce rate at a much higher rate. But let's step back for a second. I get why cohabitation is so rampant. Let's just think about it just for a second. Some of us, we, we grew up deep Christians and we just, we're just appalled that a pastor would say that he understands why people cohabitate. And I'll tell you, first of all, I totally get it. You know how expensive rent is in the Bay Area? And you want to cover half of it? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. You're going to cover half of it? And then, I know there's a church. And then on top of it, we get to have a little bit of fun on the side? Winning. I mean, it's just no, no brainer for these guys. It's just not, okay? And I don't mean to be crude, rude, but I'm just pointing out a fact. I get it. But here's the problem. Couples that cohabitate before marriage are 80% more likely to be divorced. Cohabitation scientifically doesn't work. Look at the relational studies. It doesn't work. And so couples, you say, well, we made it. You are the exception to the rule. You're not the norm. More often than not, couples come in with so much baggage from all these couples. And I know this is a hard truth, and I'm speaking because I know that there's some singles and some teenagers and some people that you're just thinking, man, it's innocent. Culture says it, but culture is wrong. Culture's got it all wrong. You're going to see this family has all kinds of drama and all kinds of issues because of all of the things that are connected. Because you live in a culture that says, uh, drive it before you buy it. And some of us, we're just going from relationship to relationship, going from person to person. And you just think it doesn't mean anything. And you're wondering why you feel so hollow, why you feel so empty. It's because that when it comes to being intimate, you're giving a piece of yourself away to somebody. You don't get that back. I'm really going to offend some of you, and I'm going to say it. There is not a condom big enough to cover your soul. And some of us feel like there's such a thing as safe sex, and there's not. Because God never designed it to be dangerous in the first place. But yet we have a culture that says to your teenage son or teenage daughter that you're not on the in crowd unless you've given that away. And we've got a culture where that's what sells. We've got a culture that says that's the ultimate when it's not. Here's what's so amazing. It used to be that you got into a relationship because of friendship, because of deep meaning. Nowadays, what's the value in a relationship is how good are they in bed? That's what culture says nowadays. And if they're not, then mm, I don't know if you guys are going to make it because it's all about that. Well, here's the thing. One day that's not going to be around. So the relationship is going to have to be built on something deeper. It's going to have to. So that can't be the ultimate. It's a great thing. It's a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. 
Because we've got people today that they're obsessed with looking for the right one. And one of their big qualifiers that this is the right one is how they perform. And so they're seeing this person just stuck to person after person. And here's the thing. When you go to buy a car, you're not looking for a car that has 300,000 miles on it. You're not. (laughs) And I'm not here to put anybody down who's gone through some difficult things. I'm just here to point out the obvious that there's still some scars. There's still some hurt. There's still some baggage. There's still some pain from that. And here's what happens. Your desire can keep you from your destiny. Think about it just for a second. Jacob stole Esau's birthright. Why? Because he was hungry. You know, when we're hungry, when we're, we're, we're wanting something, it makes us weaker. Instead of saying no to things we normally would say no to, all of a sudden we're saying yes to things we normally say no to. You ever gone to the grocery store when you're hungry? You ever bought something? You're like, why did I buy Twinkies? I don't like Twinkies. I don't want Twinkies. Why did I buy Hostess? Why did I buy Captain Crunch? Why did I buy all this candy? Because you went to the grocery store hungry. You didn't go to the salad aisle when you were hungry. Well, some of you did. Some of you look pretty good, so you did. But for the most of us, we're just like, hey, where's Pringles? Where's Lay's? That's what I'm wanting right now. Or where's the drive-thru? That's what I want. Why? Because I'm hungry. Culture calls us something else. Culture says when we're desperate, we're thirsty. And we'll say that. Oh, that person, she's pretty thirsty. Oh, he's pretty thirsty. Pretty desperate. And we've got a culture that is hungry, that is thirsty. Here's the problem. It's like you're swimming in the ocean. You're surrounded by water, but there's not a single drop to drink. We're in a culture that just says intimacy is everywhere, but you know it's polluting. You're like, oh, I can't drink any of this. And you're looking for the one. But here's what's so powerful. Jacob did not get it. Rachel did not get it. The one person that did get it is Leah. You're going to see this in just a second. You see, there's this bitterness that creeps in and bitterness is that cover that we start to use because we're so angry. We're like, God, why am I alone? Why am I suffering? Because God wants you to grow your nose so God can bless your yes. And if you're a young person here today and you're a single person here today, grow your no so God can bless the yes. And some of us need to grow the no. Some of us need to tell in our children, guess what? You're going to be tempted to do things, but I want you to say no. I want you to save yourself to that one day where it's special, where it's between you and that person because that glue will bind you guys. And you don't want to be a person that hop from person to person to person. And maybe that is your past, but yet I don't think you would encourage somebody else to say, yeah, just go ahead and do it. It's fun. It's normal. It's college. No. You see, we want to grow our no. We want to grow the no where something comes up, a temptation comes up and we say no to it. Where the desire comes up, but we're not led by our desires. What do we say about our feelings and our emotions in week number one? We said our emotions are real, our feelings are real, but it doesn't make them right. Your feelings, your emotions are real for, the, uh, to, for this attraction, but it doesn't make it right. And we've got whole people that are just following, and we wonder why our marriages are declining. We wonder why people are distrustful of marriage. Because God has a better way. And the better way is this. It's not looking for your one out there in him or your one out there. I want you to see who found the one. It First of all, it starts with the cure. What is the cure? Belief is the cure. Belief that God is my one. You say, what? <laughs> Let me show you. Jacob didn't get it. He obsessed over Rachel. And even Rachel kind of obsessed over Jacob. And even Leah obsessed over Jacob. 
But notice what happens in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord had seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. She named him Simeon. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. Do you see what's happening? She's thinking, now he'll love me. Now he'll want me. Who's Leah's one? It's Jacob. For Jacob, who's his number one? It's Rachel. That's called idolatry. They had made an idol of another person. And they thought, this person will satisfy me. This person will make me happy. And that's what we do in marriage. You got into the relationship thinking, she is always going to be there for me. She's going to always look smoking hot. And she's always going to be great. And it's just going to be awesome. And then you had a couple kids. And all of a sudden, you're like, there's no more intimacy. You're like, it's just out the window. It's just gone. You know, we've got little kids everywhere, you know, and it's just kind of like, where are all these kids coming from? And your kids start bringing the neighbor kids over and you're like, why? You know, and you're just like, this is too much. And all of a sudden, instead of having that time for each other, things have just changed. And you made that one, your, your number one, your ultimate. But here's what happens. What we idolize, we eventually demonize. What we idolize, we eventually demonize because nobody can bear the weight of all that expectation. So Leah realized that I can keep being miserable. And she even says it. Because God's seen my misery. I'm miserable. I'm in a marriage that's miserable. And that may be you. You may feel like Leah right now. That you're like, I'm in a marriage and a relationship and I'm miserable. I don't know what to do. Would you look at what Leah does? This is so powerful. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time. She said, but this time I'm going to do something different. And maybe today is the day you say, hey, this time I'm going to do something different. 1,400 websites where I can go try to find the one, but this time I'm going to do something different. You say, what was it that she did? She said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and then she stopped having children. She said, I'm done. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to get what? My eyes on my number one. You see, your spouse is not your number one. That's your number two. You see, the Bible says in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You want a better relationship? Put God first. God, you're my number one. He's my number two. God's my number one. She's my number two. You say, well, what do I do? These Friday nights, these Saturday nights where everybody else is out to the party, everybody else out to the club, everybody else is dating. What do I do? Because if I go to that club, I'm going to get thirsty. I'm going to get hungry. And all of a sudden, I'm going to eat junk food. And I'm going to have things I shouldn't have. So maybe for you, it's you're going to grab your Bible and a journal. You're going to go to a coffee shop. And you're going to journal about God. You're going to be my one right now. God, I'm going to, sounds awkward. I'm, I'm going to date you right now. I'm going to spend time with you. Because one day you're going to give me a relationship. One day you're going to put me into that relationship. But right now I need to work on some things. Because I don't have a marriage problem. i got a brokenness problem. Because I'm dysfunctional. So God, I want you to work these things out. So if you're a man, maybe you're going to go look at what is godly manhood. And maybe you're going to start studying those things out. Or maybe if you're a woman, you're going to say, hey, what does a godly woman look like? And you're going to spend those times, you're going to journal, and you're going to be looking at things where you say, God, I want to develop these character traits in my life. And all of a sudden, you're becoming the man or the woman that God wants you to. You're not waiting time playing the field. You're learning to grow your no. You're able to say no to these things that aren't going to be good. You're able to say no to these things that you know will bring you down. And then when it comes time to find the right one, you're going to find somebody and they've been doing the same. 
they're going to be able to tell you, I've been saying no to all these others because I've wanted to save my yes for you. Because you're someone special. You're the one I've been praying for. You're the one that I've been hoping for. You're not my number one. You're my number two. And all of a sudden, Leah said, God is my number one. Jacob, you're my number two. But you know what's so powerful what God did when Leah made that decision? You don't see the fruit of her decision until the New Testament, Matthew chapter number one. It's the genealogy of Jesus. You say, what do you mean the fruit of her decision? Many times, if you grow up in the church, you've read Matthew chapter number one, and it's a long list of boring names. And you think, I, I, I can't, can't follow it all. But there's one name in particular that just kind of stands out and it jumps out. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. What was that son that Leah gave birth to? Where she said, this time, I'll praise the Lord. His name was Judah. See, Leah said, this time it's going to be different. And God said, all right, it's going to be different. The line of Jesus is coming through your child, not Rachel's. It's not Rachel's. It's Leah's. The wife that was cast aside. The wife that was unloved. The wife that was suffering alone in silence. The wife who cried herself to sleep because she knew she was not loved by her husband. The wife that said, God, this is a punishment too great to bear. But then she said, I'm still going to praise God. And God said, I'm going to bless you. And here's, the story just doesn't end there. It gets better. In Genesis chapter 53, we see that Jacob is going to die. And he's talking to his children. He's saying, I'm going to die. I go the way of all the earth. Now bury me with my fathers next to Leah. He said, the wife that I want to be buried with is Leah, not Rachel. Something changed in his heart, didn't it? Something changed. Because Leah said, my number one is God. My number two is Jacob. And ultimately, Jacob got it right too. He said, that woman was a good woman to me. Rachel caused Jacob all kinds of problems. She told Jacob, if you don't give me children, I'm going to commit suicide. When they left Laban's house, it was Rachel who stole the false gods of Laban and hid them and lied about them. She had this ultimate idolatry problem. But it was Leah the whole time that was right there who said, I'm going to love this one. I'm going to be faithful to this one. And so maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm missing something and I want you to get this. True fulfillment comes from my relationship with God, not with others. True fulfillment comes from my relationship with God, not from others. And if you are tired of playing the field, you're tired of all these Friday and Saturday nights where you just wake up next to the next person you feel is empty and hollow and you know you're just giving a piece of yourself away and you're tired of that life, it's time you can make a decision. Stop looking for the right one because you found him. His name is Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. He died on a cross for you. And there's no one else better than him. And he will satisfy the desire of your heart. The word says, taste and see that God is good. He loves you. He'll be there for you. You don't have to keep looking for anything else. So it's time you say, you know what? I'm going to do things differently now. Can we all stand as we close? Maybe your desire is that you say, God, I feel that I've been looking for the one in all the wrong places, but you've been there the whole time. God, you were there. You love me. You care about me. And so God, I've been so broken. 
I've been bitter, but now I'm going to believe that you are my one. And I'm going to let you bring my number two in your time. I'm going to let you do a work, but I'm going to praise you now. I'm going to praise you in the middle of this. You see, God hadn't fixed the situation in her marriage, but she said, I'll praise you. I don't know what situation you're in, but it may not be fixed, but you have a decision to make. Will you praise him in spite of the situation? Will you say, today, God, I'm going to give you praise. Today, God, I'm going to worship you. Today, God, I will seek you. Today, God, I will do what's right. I will love my spouse. I will honor my spouse. I will be there for my spouse because Jesus was there for me. Jesus was there when I wasn't. Jesus was faithful when I wasn't. Jesus loved me when I was unlovable. Jesus has always been there. He always will be, and he forever will be there. And so, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to abandon you because, Jesus, you showed me the way. And so maybe that's your desire. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the fact that we can come on a Sunday morning and we can hear that you're our number one. So help us, Father, as we're out looking for the right one. Help us to realize you're the right one. Anybody else out there is a number two. And I pray that we would align our hearts with what you want. We love you, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name.